Welcome back to the Social Seller Podcast. We have to hop right in. We have a special guest. We have a former athlete, not only a really good friend, Jordan Kinzeri, a former Hawkeye. Now, you were the first person from your hometown to play at a Division I college, especially a big, Big Ten school. Mm-hmm. Not only did you go in and they told you you're not going to be playing for a while if you even play, but you, st- you see the field freshman year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, you go on to later get to do work with the Kansas City Chiefs. You were at camp. You broke your hand. Mm-hmm. And then when you go talk with the L.A. Rams, you, the doctor didn't clear the hand. Yep. And that puts you in a position where then you went and played pro ball in Japan. Mm-hmm. And there's only like four, four Americans or two American athletes per Japan. Per, per side of the field, but four total. On four each total. Yep. So you get to go mm-hmm. to Japan. And we're going to hop into that story because that's oh, just yeah. wild in general. I have not been to Japan yet. And you and me met bartending and really where our friendship blossomed in, in Dalton Shawl and just the Bardo <laughs> days, right? God mm-hmm. damn, were they fun. Uh, yep. And you're a business owner, a brand owner, and you are giving back and you've always given back since I've known you in the last, what, at least five to six years to the community, regardless mm-hmm. of where you're at. You grew up in rural upper New York, correct? Yeah, like right outside of the city. And so grew up with five acres and a pond and everything. So, yep. A lot of people don't know that. They think I'm just straight up city boy, but you know, I got a little outdoors in me. I love it. I love it. No, we're going to have fun. Thank oh, you yeah, for being for sure. here, man. And thanks for coming <laughs> into San Diego, flying in. Oh, you know, I love it. I love I it out it. here. I love it. Mm-hmm. And it was fun because the first ever bowl game that I've been to was the first year I moved to San Diego and you showed me a text. You're like, Hey, let's, let's do it. And it was at Qualcomm stadium. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the difference, but that was the last game we played USC. We were in town. We went to the game, first bowl game. Not only are you a celebrity in, in, in the Iowa community, right? And for friends out here, I just try to remind them that there's a lot of states in the country that don't have professional teams, like professional basketball, oh. professional football. And so when, that does, you know, when that's not there, you, you start to fall in love even more with, with what you do have. And, and mm-hmm. you almost love being the underdogs. And there's some kind of advantage there. And we'll hop into to oh, how yeah. you've created brands with it. Mm-hmm. What I really want to hop into... And, what I appreciate so much about you and I think why you can connect with so many people is you're open with your, your vulnerabilities and something we haven't even really chatted a lot about in for you to get to where you're at and to kind of stand out in certain ways from your hometown. What was your childhood like? Mm -hmm. Did you know you're going to be an athlete at a young age or what, what were some of the low points? Yeah, no, I mean, for me, it was funny because Everyone would always ask, they're like, uh, who's your favorite NFL team? Like, who did you watch growing up? I just loved the game. I just remember the first time putting a football in my hands, just running around and scoring was just so exciting to me. But I didn't really watch it on TV. I didn't later get a favorite team as the Saints until high school when I was following Reggie Bush out of USC. But yeah, for me, it was just the love of the game. But every single time I moved up, I was always faced with adversity of you can't run like that or you're too small. Always wanted to have that chip on my shoulder. And, you know, again, getting later into Iowa, it kind of all was full circle. But, you know, when I'm going into modified, they're like, hey, you can't run like that anymore. If you're going up to JV, I'm in JV football. I still ran like that. I had coaches that wanted to bring me up on varsity, but the varsity, some of the head coach and others were like, oh, I don't know, he can't run like that, telling me personally, you can't run like that if you want to play on varsity. So I didn't play on varsity until junior, so what, senior wait, year. What are they saying running like? Are you running like too high or like what are you? It would be to the point. You're I was, 
I it, it I did it in modified, I did it in JV, and I did it in varsity. Points where I would literally cross the field and, <laughs> and run all the way around that. and score. And they're like, "What are you doing? You can't do that." I'm like. I'm only doing it because I know I can at that point. I'm not doing it in every play. But, again, that was just the pure, you know, reaction. You're going to make a play. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't play varsity until junior, senior year, and I still ran like that. And everything else after that was history. But it was just always, always, always coaches and people closest to me saying, I don't know, you're not big enough. I don't know, you're too small. You really think you can do that? And Instead of believing those thoughts and even the things that did spiral in my head, I just believed in myself and just kept pushing. And that's how I got the opportunity I did. I love it. And what was your upbringing like? Like, what was the size of the town? So you mm-hmm. say you're outside of the city, mm-hmm. right? So uh, right outside of the capital, Albany, but my city was Troy, where, I mean, we, we had a graduation class of about 250, a little under 300 a uh, little over a thousand kids in the school. So it was still a pretty big school and we had a lot of high schools around. But for me, I played like, like I said, I grew up on five acres and I almost went to this one school with a graduation class of 70. And I played Pop Warner football for the Brunswick Bulldogs, one of the few kids of color playing. But, you know, it was so fun. But then I went to the city school and it was again. It was a lot. I mean, it was good where we had the athletes, but we also had a lot of the drama. You know, I, I tell some people the things that went on went on into my school, and they're like, wait, what? People from different schools would be like, oh, what school do you go to? Oh, Troy. They're like, oh. So it's like I, I dealt with that a little bit, but at the same time, you know, I, I did get opportunity other than the fact of recruitment. Um, I had like D3, D2 schools coming in, looking me up and down like, sorry, you're too small. I was packing weight in my pants when I knew some coaches were coming in just because I knew that. But as soon as the D1 higher scholarships started coming in, like I remember our our Iowa strength coach, Doyle, was just like, we know we can put the weight on you. We're confident in our strength staff, but we just want to see you can play. So that was just a crazy difference to me from seeing like D3. They're like, no, we need you kind of built already. We need you already ready to go. But Iowa, they're like, no, we just want to see you can play. And we know we can put the weight on you. So they saw my film, called me over the phone and offered me a scholarship. So they never even came and visited. Damn. So you mm-hmm. didn't meet with anyone in person before? Nope. Nope. And that doesn't happen that often. Like a lot of buddies, because I grew up 10 minutes outside of Iowa City, right? The friends that played there, a lot of them are, you know, they walk on and then mm-hmm. hopefully the goal is to get a scholarship. So to be able to get that and for them to see that, it, we were talking before the interview yeah. too. There's a big win yesterday against Maryland and we didn't know there were not a few team going in there. We didn't know how we were going to play. And, and I love that you say this because we talk about taking two and three star athletes and making them, mm-hmm. you know, four and fives if possible. And, and, now that it's happened for so long and you are the epitome of going through the system, right? Yeah. But they believed in you. And that also is probably why you were a little bit more attracted to it, mm-hmm. right? From putting, what were you doing? What, what kind of weights were you putting in your pockets? Oh, well, I mean, I couldn't do like too much. I had to do like a two and a half, five. If two I was throwing a, a tens on each side, they'd be like, all right, hold up. <laughs> you don't look 225. But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a big thing where for me, I was a one and a half star on Rivals. But I traveled. Uh, I was, again, we talked about already vulnerable with blessing of my father being able to drive me out. But I went to camps in Ohio, massive schools, one of the only New Yorkers there, if not the only one, winning running back of the camp, winning yeah. the running back award as a one and a half star when these guys are like, oh, I'm a three or I'm a this and that. And 
Iowa, yeah, that's what we do. We don't get the four stars. We don't get the huge major names, but they develop. And if you're willing to just be a part of the program, you get to see the things. And for me, senior year, being a part of the first ever 12-0 team, you know, that's, uh, that's obviously a blessing. It's unreal. And, and it gives me chills because I think there's so many Hawkeye like alumni, mm-hmm. right? University of Iowa alumni that believes in that same system and process too because our company is founded by University of, like we all met at the University of Iowa, right? Yep. But we've always loved and we feel that it's an advantage to be the underdog. Mm-hmm. And I think Iowa's always played in that too, right? We, yeah. we almost prefer the underdog, right? We play to the level a lot of times that we play good teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about having a chip on your shoulder knowing you're, you're the underdog and you have something to prove. And, and yeah. that's like the Iowa mentality. I love it. Now, what separated you? You said you went to some camps. For you to be one of very few or maybe the only one at the time to get a D1 scholarship. Like yeah. what, if you were telling someone that's a freshman in high school and he's a good running back, mm-hmm. right? Or he's a good athlete and he's like, Jordan, you know, I'm from Troy. I'm from the same yeah. place you are. Yeah. And I want to be able to achieve something like you have. What, what are the two or three things you're going to tell that individual? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just great practice that I get from the kids I train. I'm already trying to instill those type of messages to them. And then the, we'll get into it later, but the uh, alternative learning program school I work at with like at-risk kids, you know, kids from really crappy backgrounds and being able to give them, you know, words of wisdom and some inspiration. It's just... I sacrificed and for me I was literally bullied and made fun of because guys would be like dude you could be smashing any girl you want you're the number one running back in New York you could be doing this you could be doing that you could be partying da, da, da. I'm like uh no I, I'm trying to focus on ball because you know my my pops he worked real hard but my mom had to retire early from work when I was younger due to lupus and, uh, you know, he had to put all the weight on his shoulders. So for me, I was like, I need to get a full ride. I have to get a full ride scholarship. Um, I didn't care what they say the percentage is. I think it's like 1% of kids playing high school get one. And I didn't care. I just was full-fledged on it. And luckily, I was able to get that opportunity. And that was all chance, too. Like, a lot of people don't know. I literally tell people sometimes, like, my life's a movie, but I tell people all the time to view your life as a movie, to see yourself as that, you know, that hero. But um, I had a guy who did not, who realized I had no offers, watched me in my state championship run, made a highlight of me, sent it out to schools, and it ended up on the Iowa offensive coordinator's desk. He almost didn't watch it. He's like, all right, fine, I will. As soon as he watched it, brought it in the room with everyone else, and they were like, you need to watch this. They called me over the phone. So it was like all uh, the guys. What, what, very what were you doing when you, got, when you got the call? Like, what were you doing? How old were you? I was with my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you doing? Like, what were you guys doing? Are we you, uh, you we were just, you know, hanging out. Hanging, hanging out, on the high school yeah, part, hanging, hanging out. out. Yeah, yeah um, like doing in the her room, stuff. We're hanging out in her room, just watching TV, nothing, Absolutely. you know. And um, funniest thing, uh, Ferentz calls me and he's it's just like. from Iowa. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea. I'm from New York. I had no idea where Iowa was. And he's just like, hey, this is uh, Ferentz from Iowa. And all I remember, he's just like, so I'd like to extend uh and in a uh, scholarship to you. And I, at that time, was verbally committed to Villanova. Oh, shit. Much smaller school, but I did not know the program. So I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm actually committed right now. He's like, you sure? And I was like, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate your call. Thank you so much. And literally have my girlfriend like, well, you are, get off. Because she's been probably sick and tired of all the calls I was getting. 
And he's like, all right, well, uh, and we'll uh, talk soon. Because I, I could tell he was already just like flustered. Like, wait, what? So he calls my father. My father calls me. Do you know what you... I'm like, what? He's like, you know who you're talking to? And I call him back. I'm so sorry. Like, I had no idea. Like, I would love to be able to come out. Like, I almost blew it but luckily he was yeah so luckily he was cool enough to be like i don't know if this kid knows what he's uh turning down right now so uh yeah it was it was really cool but yeah but blessing blessing that i gotta give uh, kudos to the coach who helped me out but yeah crazy crazy turn of events that is awesome and for kirk to call and then for him to immediately call your dad so it's probably happened at least once or twice in the past too Mm -hmm. right even out here on the west coast no one knows where iowa is Mm -mm. right rightfully so yeah if you want to know it's in the middle of the country they're like oh you're going out to iowa you're going to come back a farmer when i went to iowa people said i talked too fast and when i came back home they're like why are you talking slow now so it was it was really funny to you know again see that difference but you know wouldn't change a thing i love it and and the humble thing that, that you leave out is your consistency and your your drive you saw the goal and you were like i'm gonna do it Mm. above all and that was something i noticed when you and me first met i know you have a relation you you have a religious you you use religion in your relationship with god to Mm. help guide and i know you're someone that's vocal about it and it was from the start and it shows why your involvement you know with the community and your values are aligned like you you've stated your values and you take action aligned and i think that is Definitely how, you know, what any quality leader needs is a foundation. Mm-hmm. There was those things that were happening behind the scenes. Like the fact that you get lucky is because of your hard work and mm-hmm. you're also putting yourself out there, right? Yeah. So because you're working hard, mm-hmm. you have many fans, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for someone you didn't know to take video of you and then put out a highlight and then take the time to send it out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's luck, but I'm sure you probably had some version of an impact to them. Or, hey, yeah. we're all underdogs and we want someone from Troy to you know, get the yeah. visibility he, he wants to. There's a yeah. lot of college and our high school athletes. Big thing about that too, other than the hard work, is just the type of character. You know, I knew right from the beginning when I had kids reaching out, messaging me, saying this and that, that I was on a platform that I was watched and I could either have a negative influence, a positive, or just kind of pass by. And I'm like, I'm going to make sure that I'm a positive one. And so every interaction I had, I made sure it was good. You know, and it's not so much like I'm doing it to get something out of it, but it leads to opportunity. I tell this to my kids that, you know, be kind to all the people around you because you never know when it's going to come full circle and they're going to want to help. That guy could have saw an interview of mine and be me being like a jackass and be like, oh, I don't want to help that kid out. But, you know, seeing if I was more well-spoken and doing this and that in Iowa, you know, big thing for me was going to the children's hospital, visiting, helping out at schools because... You know, kids going through stuff like that is what I'm going through is nothing compared to. So whenever I was asked to go visit, I was like, all right, bet I'm going. Uh, Because, yeah, when you're playing, especially as you said, at Iowa, when there's no NFL team, we are that team. You get a lot of opportunities to make a difference. So, you know, I try to uh, take advantage of that. I love that. And. I lost my train of thought on on what I was going to back that one with. No, I. uh, (laughs) No, yeah. I'm, I, I would love on the community basis, mm-hmm. what has it enabled you to do? Oh, where, where I was going to take it, because I, I know you and other athletes, your, your teammates were able to do that. What was the culture like coming into the university, you know, mm-hmm. coming from growing up on the East Coast and coming in to be on a team that goes undefeated the first time in Iowa history? Mm-hmm. And, you know, since we've been very consistent, right? Yeah. Like it's, been, it's been fun. Um, what is that internal 
environment like? Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone around, is it, is it supportive? Does it, yeah. is it, is it about growth? Can you describe that? I would say the biggest thing with what I kind of saw from my freshman year to our senior was everybody was a lot more like close knit of a unit. So freshman year, we had a lot of great players, a lot of great leaders, but you know, I'm not trying to shoot down any of my previous alumni, but I kind of felt like there was a little disconnect. Like you were a senior, you knew you were a senior freshman. They have to like work for it and earn their, earn their keep. But for us, like, even though we know you're a freshman, I felt that we were so close from top to bottom that we were a little more like upbringing, not so much like I'm a senior, you need to listen, like kind of more so show it and prove it and have them follow. And uh, we, it was just one of the hardest working groups that been around and just the close unit, everyone, like I said, was cool. But to go from my sophomore year when I tore my ACL after I was named the starter, um, that was another story where that motivated me. I became the fastest ACL recovery they've had. Um, I went from medical redshirt four and eight season to being blessed with that medical that allowed me to be on that 2015 team. And when we went 12 and 0 first time in school history. So just to see that development and see the growth from people around me, it's, it's something that you just really can't describe, but it's, it's awesome. Could you say a few of the names of some of the teammates that you had when you were playing in Iowa that, that are playing the league? Just, yeah, just to um, give people an idea of, of why I bring these questions up mm-hmm. because I'm not only fascinated, but the people you're around in these environments. These yeah. are people that we continue to watch. Oh, know? yeah. Got George Kittle with the 49ers tight end. Uh, Micah Hyde is uh, definitely a leader for the Buffalo Bills. They're free safety. Christian Kirksey, he's been from Cleveland to the Packers, but now he's on the Houston Texans, and he's already the leader of their defense. And guys that just come out of the woodworks, too, like Anthony Hitchens, a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. We also have Ben Neiman, who's starting at linebacker for them, too. He, like, I think he led the league in tackles, like, two or three times. And it's just you have some guys that are kind of quiet about it, but just ballers. And then even last year, I didn't play with him. He was after me, but Tristan Wirfs, to – as a rookie with the Bucks, luckily with Brady, yeah. but to have, I think he had 750 snaps and only let up one sack as a rookie. Like we have guys that are just balling coming out because again, we're not the crazy five-star, four-star dudes that wake up knowing they're good. They're the ones that develop, do the little things right, focus on the fundamentals and it proves it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have Beathard in there. You have Jewel. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and the list goes on. It's just named, wild. And, I think and, we got 30 active guys right now that um, from Iowa. And I think I played with about 20 of them. And was that a part of why you wanted to go to Iowa? Because Alabama and Iowa are like, I mean, don't they put out more people in the NFL in the last decade or something? I, I don't know. Alabama is definitely number one. I saw that Alabama could literally, uh, out of all active players, they have 53 players like they could they have, have their, their own, own team they could have their own team yeah it's wild. That. that's wild <laughs> but we're I think tied fourth with 33 I think it was so like that's the thing again we're not the Alabama or LSU Clemson's but we still produce we still have every single NFL scout come to our pro days because they know Ference is a damn good coach and they know that our old strength coach, Chris Doyle, he was a guy who knew everything about strength and um, conditioning. So, yeah, it just gives guys like that a really good opportunity to be able to be seen and get a chance in the league. I, I love it. 
And it's so fun to be able to talk to someone that that's played at this level. Like I just can't even imagine, mm. you know, I have these fascinations one day I want to be able to like, and maybe we talked about this too. Yeah. Could you imagine the feeling of having a hundred thousand people and being the DJ and like everyone's jamming to your music, but mm -hmm. you felt 70,000, if not, I mean, you've played in larger stadiums, yeah. but sold out, like being on the field. I can't even imagine the level of excitement, probably mm -hmm. a little anxiety. That's just wild. Now we're going to flip the script. You also rap. Hmm. And you make music, and yeah. I, I, I like it. The body language yeah, changes; yeah. that energy comes out. <laughs> Your time in Japan—is mm. that where the rapping career started? And can you talk about when people started asking for your song mm. in a recording, and they were screaming it in the oh, club? Okay. And we might even need a little—you uh, yeah, might little, have to sing. I have to hear the chorus. Yeah, I'll hit that chorus. Uh, no. Um, for me, I'd say music started when I was younger. If it wasn't for football, I would have either got into music or acting. But with my friends, we would always just make music for fun. And it wasn't until like my senior year at Iowa when like, you know, I was kind of having a little more fun with it. I, I just kind of played around with the idea of like, maybe I should actually record and do some official songs. But it wasn't until I was in Japan did it really start. And uh, one of my other buddies, he's a phenomenal rapper, Sean Draper. Uh, he's way more talented than me, like rapping wise, but I like to sing and rap. And it was funny, you know, we uh, were just walking one day and we rolled up in a club that literally was a full reggae night, guys smoking, dreads, everything. We were and so surprised. In, in, where Japan, are you in Japan, uh, Osaka. Okay. Um, and. It was just so funny that we're like, yo, let's make a reggae song. Like, that would be so funny. We'll perform it at this local uh, international bar called 1134. We were cool with the owner, found out he lived in New York for a minute. So cool connection. And what I did was I made the chorus. It was, uh, give me your namba. Let's go to namba. Then we go namba. Then we go namba. So namba was this prefecture that had a lot of the international bars. And then uh, Nampa means uh, flirting with the intention of, you know, having fun. <laughs> yeah, having fun. So uh, it was just perfect. You're just giving me your number. Let's go to Nampa. Don't we go Nampa? And then you have an American Don't we go Nampa? Everybody's in the crowd like, don't we go Nampa? <laughs> like going nuts to the, D the uh, owners. Like, you need to send us that song. Everyone loved it. And because they listen to our music in their clubs. So it was just. If you would think it'd be weird, they sometimes I even question if they go harder than we do. But it was so fun, so amazing. But then after that, coming back home, I performed back in Iowa City. I performed in New York. But yeah, just to have that experience and just to, you know, have an idea, have a passion and actually go through with it too has really been cool. I love it. We have to do stand up together sometime. Oh, I'm it down. scares me a little bit, but I know I, I will definitely be doing it in the next oh, five years. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, can yeah. you imagine standing on stage? Like, yeah, if you fuck up, it's like yeah. Whatever. I did it one time. One time. Props. Mm -hmm. Seriously, because actually, LA. think, put yourself in that. Like, get on stage, crowd people. Hopefully, you know a couple, even if you don't, but make them laugh. It was it was for the Rose Bowl. We went to the Hollywood Improv as a team. Oh shit. And 20 minutes before they started, the um, host just comes on and is like, we have 20 minutes if anybody's brave enough to go up. And one of my teammates, his name's Coop. Everyone knew him <laughs> as the jokester. So everyone's like, Coop, Coop, Coop. Soon as he gets on stage, grabs a mic and just goes, Kanzari. And everyone's ah, clapping because me and him always roast each other. So I went up on stage with them and we literally just roasted each other, cracking jokes. It was so funny. Like, like what I'm was down, one? Do you I'm remember down. one of them? So they, are we talking like 
mama jokes so, like what do you do when it's because well, the other team's there too right yeah so, no 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 it was just, oh, us. Oh, just yeah, you okay. so it was nice and there were some like random people too public but uh, i literally just uh the only one i remember uh he was a bigger dude heavy set dude so um i was just like i don't know how you even walking up here without a sports bra with those orangutan titties and like everybody just started dying laughing but then he got revenge because i didn't know he talked to the host out in the lobby because the, the team or the coaches were like, oh, talk to this guy. He's funny. And he's like, give me some jokes about some of your teammates. He only told him jokes that he makes fun of me for. So he's like, and, the, and they're all made up. They're all made up except for the first one. So he's like, so uh, who's the running back in here that tweezes his eyebrows? Everybody looks back to me. I'm like, mother. <laughs> Later in the set, he's like, so who's the dude who has a glitter gun? He just makes, like, these are the jokes he just makes up. He's like, you, he'll be like, you look like you wear your girlfriend's shirt to sleep. You look like you got a uh, glitter gun. Like, stuff that's not real, but gets everyone to laugh. And everyone knew that was his joke. So, again, look back at me. I'm like, I hate this dude. <laughs> so, it was funny. Like, you got to play along, be a you know, good sport about it. But, yeah, it was funny. Oh, that is too good. That mm -hmm. is too good. What is life like growing up in rural New York, just outside of the city, going to Iowa, getting to feel that energy, and then going to Japan, a place mm -hmm. that is a very wealthy country. And it's expensive active. to live there. It's oh, very yeah. active. Mm -hmm. It's high population. Yeah. It's very different than here. Like, can you describe it to people that have never been there? What was it like getting off? Like, you know, like getting off the flight and like, all right, I'm a, I play pro ball here. I'm mm -hmm. one of very few. I don't speak the language. Yeah, I mean, well, luckily a good amount of people spoke English, but uh, I tried so hard to learn Japanese. I was reading a book. I was like, you know, when I, whatever it comes to something, I'm trying to go full fledged into it and be prepared at least some point, uh, you know. But the only words I sadly remember still are just majority of dirty words because those are the only ones my teammates would teach me. I had to learn everything else on my own, practice out in public, and then when I try to be serious, like, be like oh, how do you say this? Teammates would just tell me dumb words just to mess with us and just to mess with me. So uh, that was funny. But I would say the people, you know, were inviting in, in Osaka, especially Tokyo. They're more used to foreigners but and tourists. But Osaka, I like Osaka more. People are like, where are you from? Wanted to buy you drinks, food, clean. Like, you, it's hard to find a garbage can. Anybody that's gone there, they'll know, like, it's hard to find trash cans, but it's clean. Like, I went jogging at, like, 5 in the morning and saw old ladies just walking around cleaning stuff up in the streets. Like, they have so much pride. And the biggest thing I took away from it that I use this with my kids, I train, kind of getting them to understand how much focus, like, I'll say to kids, like, there's a reason why I tell you not to talk. There's a reason why I tell you to look straight when you're doing an activity because you can only put your focus in so many places. And these kids, we also coached at the university when we weren't playing. These kids would bow to us, which was just proper to their coaches, but they would also bow before they stepped on the field. And I thought that was huge. It's just when I'm stepping on this turf, it is time to just lock in. And that's what I am. I'm a football player, nothing else, everything else. Once I'm back off, and then I get used to that. But too many kids, you know, they bring everything else on and just distracted, focusing on all those things, and that's not allowing them to become a person that they can be. So um, th that was just another awesome thing to be able to see from their uh, part of their culture. Yeah, and in Asian culture, Eastern culture is so much about gratitude, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of the bowing is, is like just this gratitude. And even yeah. if for that's... That simple moment of like, damn, I'm grateful to be able to step on this field and play, yeah. right? I'm, 
you know, grateful to my coach. I think that's, that, that is really cool. Mm -hmm. I, you know, you don't see that here. Um, and you see coaches that have that relationship, that special relationship with their, yeah. their athletes, whether it's college pro, I think any, any age, yeah. um, it, it definitely has a, a difference maker and it goes way beyond the sport, right? That's what matters. Yeah. yeah. Way yeah. beyond the coaches that know how to do it the right way. The coaches that aren't the ones who so much try to develop your leather skin, like just being super hard military aspect towards you where I get it, but you also have to understand how many people you're leaving behind, how many people you're causing issues to other than those few select that grew that tough skin. Um, but, you know, there's coaches that do it the right way. One of our great friends, Dalton, you know, he had the experience with the coach over at Minnesota. Um, he literally has oars oars because one of his things is, is row the boat or um and he has oars all throughout the stadium of people signing them and sending it back to him because of how much they appreciate him a guy who wasn't even at our school at that time he was at western michigan we smoked him and he still after dalton's accident mess like reached out sent him an oar and like said hope you get well like there's coaches out there who you know, you're making those developmental type of dudes. You're bringing guys into league, but at the same time, you're getting these dudes prepared for afterwards. Life, when things hit you, when you have those, you know, tragic events, when you have those midlife crises of, oh, I'm not playing football anymore. Who am I? It's like, those are the type of coaches that I, you know, look up to and want to really, you know, try to symbolize when I'm getting into that point in time and with everything I'm doing now. So let's take it outside of childhood because you're, you're exactly right. What, what's been the lowest point out of college? Mm -hmm. Has there been any lows where your whole life can be dedicated and focused towards playing at the highest level and you get oh. to it, you get to achieve and then mm -hmm. for that to stop, what yeah. is that like? So one thing and it kind of hit me when this reporter, for the most part reporters ask dumb questions, but some ask the great ones and this guy it was after I was back from Japan. I was trying to get back into the league. So I was actually at that time with an arena football team uh, before I tore my back. Just, you know, injury galore over here. And uh, he's like, so what would you say to the people that don't realize your commitment that you put into this? That the times that you're the years that you're putting into trying to attain an opportunity into the league those are things that you can't really, you know, carry on with. You are going to stop playing football someday because your body can't handle it. So what's next? It's not like a kid leaving a university, getting into, you know, straight into uh, studying engineering. And now they're 12 years deep into the knowledge and can just apply it no matter what and can continue on to their old. But for me, if I wasn't to be a football coach, which luckily I just have the love for wanting to, you know, help the next generation, if I wasn't to be in any involvement in sports, that whole part, it's like, how much did that really matter in my life? It does, but at that point in time, you don't see that. You see yourself as this person that uh, either was a failure, you see that person that fell short. A lot of people didn't realize that when they're coming up to me and asking, oh, what happened? Oh, uh, how, uh, why didn't you make it? Like, they're talking as if it's just like a game and it's just like with someone opportunity, but that was literally a dream. And when you, especially when I'm back home, when you have hundreds of people asking the same question and what do I have to do? Reliving it. Yo, oh yeah. yeah, no, I'm fine. You know, you know, it really taught me a lot. You know, you have to keep that fake smile, that J. Cole, you know, fake smile on to just act like it's fine, act like it's okay. And just pretend like it's 
wasn't your whole life. But people are like, oh, oh, that sucks. And like, again, just having to repeat that over and over and over again that you failed. People don't see it as you're literally asking them their profession. Like, what if I came up to somebody who's like, oh, you, you, you lost your job, why? I can't believe you lost your job. And then a thousand people ask you the same question. Yeah. That could be a lot on you. Uh, and you it was your whole life mm -hmm. into this like yeah. and that's the thing it's it's all those little things that that it's hard for someone that hasn't like mm -hmm. I, I haven't played at this level right yeah but it goes back to in high school and your friends like dude why don't you hang out with like we're going to this party you know you yeah. have interests in girls and things but it's like to keep this focus and all of this is hopefully leading to mm -hmm. hopefully all right? the things and you give up for yep. that to you know to happen yeah it's a it's an identity crisis i remember we had this guy come talk to the team and it was just so eye-opening, but it still didn't prepare you when it actually happens. But at least it gave me, you know, some sort of preparedness. He was a wrestler who was an Olympic gold champion, all these accolades. And he was done, and he was actually working construction at Spoko in Iowa City. And he said he was dirty, trying to get the attention of the um, bartender just to get a glass of water but she's down there with the guys in the suits you know laughing it up they're all having a good conversation and he's like i'm literally sitting here dying just to get a glass of water and i look up and i see a banner of me holding my goal and it's like where what happened and that's the thing that people don't realize it's like when you are on top of a stage people messaging you all the time texting you all the time people following you, people seeing you, taking pictures. I had to literally have my father and a coach monitor my Twitter because I'd have dudes like, oh, I got effed up with Kanzeri last night at Bardo, at Brothers. And I'm like, bro, I don't know who you are. They're like, oh, sorry, I saw you walk in and I got excited. Like, yeah. I couldn't do certain things because of that. And that was just at Iowa playing football. Imagine being like Justin Bieber, like walking around. It's like people don't realize how much that can really hit you where having so much and then losing it all and then having this like all this attention and losing it all, it's, it, it is a little bit of an, an addicting thing. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, it just makes you really think about who am I, what am I doing, did I do the right things. And, you know, for me it did de definitely take – a toll when it was that point in time I was coming back from Japan done um, tried doing other things got injured then I was like you know what I'm gonna play semi-pro football just for fun just so I can end things on my own my just have a good time dislocated my shoulder for the first time um, literally tore this muscle in my thumb can't hold things the same and you know it's just oh I know I've said this before, but the people don't know I had my hand done, both knees, groin twice, ankle, got to get my shoulder done. So there was a lot of sacrifice. And and I'm very happy for my teammates that have never had to deal with an injury. So kudos to them. And, you know, I'm, I'm very happy for them. But those are just obstacles. You have to every single time tell yourself you'll be better. Every single time just push yourself through because if you don't, what's the other option? And it got so low to the point where I was questioning myself, questioning my direction. Economically, I wasn't in a good place. Um, and I remember I was, I literally was told by like family, oh, you can go to this loan place to get this, like things paid off. Like they, they accept almost everybody. I got denied. And I remember just going home feeling like, how could I be from here all the way down to here now? And there was one point in time I admitted myself because I just really wasn't sure if I could deal with the, even though I knew I wouldn't go through the steps 
because I've seen the loss of loved ones and what it can do to your own and friends and people. And I don't want anybody to feel like that's the answer. Um, it was still just enough to know I had to finally go get help. And that's another thing, you know, just as a man, we hold a lot of that in trying to be strong. Then as a football player, as an athlete in general, you feel you always have to prove your worth. So it's, it's definitely a lot you got to go through, but definitely happy what I went through the opportunity, I would say, not even just like a bad memory, the opportunity I had of being admitted. I met amazing people. And again, just like movie like moments happened when I was inside of there that it's like, this was all meant to be, I can't even explain it. So um, as hard as it was, is definitely happy that I went through that just to see the world differently. Yeah. That was wow. a rant. <laughs> no, so much value in there, man. So much value. And I can just see it in your eyes, like how, how I can, in knowing you for, for the last few years and going through this and you and me having very open conversations about it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I will tell you the exact same thing. I've had to consult help too. And yeah. being being proud to do it, right? Because I care about the love, you and me care about the love we can give to the world, whether mm -hmm. it's our loved ones, it's being a brother, a sister, it's being a boyfriend or everything yeah. else. And it's like being able to get help seems like we're admitting some fault, like we have problems, but the reality is, is if, if we want to be better for everyone around us, yeah. I, you should. Yeah, and, exactly. And yeah, it, it helps me out a ton, right? Mm -hmm. And I continue to see a psychiatrist on a monthly basis. And mm -hmm. then for me, I focus a lot more of the attention on, on a coach. So yeah. for me, it's very much like a psychiatrist. I have a relationship with the coaches I work with that are helping me professionally and helping the company. But then I also have ones where, you know, I'm telling them yeah. every, every emotion. And, and for me, that is huge it's to have huge. someone in, in my corner. Mm -hmm. And a part of what that process I'm sure felt like is you get this attention. And, and like you said, it can feel like a high mm -hmm. and, in those moments and only on the up because you're, you're getting attention from your, you know, the town and, and the town you grow up in and then you get this offer and you get to go play and you're playing and all of a sudden you're on an undefeated Big Ten team, right? Mm -hmm. And you get to keep playing and then there's this identity shift. And the beautiful thing there is, yes, I'm sh I can't even imagine the amount of pain, but I've gone through this in my own way where we start to shed ego, yeah, right? Because it's a pride thing. We start to associate how people are talking about us and our gifts as who we are, and we start to think that it's us, mm -hmm. right? It's us as an individual. All the compliments people are giving you, right? All yeah. through, you know, breaking records at Iowa, and, and you would go out, and you're the celebrity, right? And it's wild, though, being able to, as a leader, step aside from it. And John Maxwell talks about when you're getting those compliments, you could just get off the stage, 10,000 people. Everyone's out of their, out of their out of, you know, it's an hour later and they're out of the, their chairs just clapping, mm -hmm. right? Round of applause. And they're complimenting you. Same, same thing. Yeah. They're complimenting our gifts, right? The gifts we were given, we're just the outlet, mm -hmm. right? And we have to remind ourselves. And I, I just learned this like a month ago. And I love simple practices, right? Yeah. And I was like, and that's how he views it. Because that's how he reminds himself to, to stay humble. And that's such a big part of, yeah. of Iowa and growing up in small communities. So props for you to be able to do this. And the amount of growth that it takes. Because a lot of people aren't able to. What would you say if you were to look at your life? How would you define yourself if you were here having this conversation five years ago? So mm -hmm. we'll say 2016. Yeah. Versus what does that identity look like versus the identity today? Oh, huge difference. And a lot of shedding, like you said. Uh, nobody wants to reveal the chink in their armor, but vulnerability is the 
is strength. It's not a weakness. And that's the issue that we really have to kind of nip, nip in the butt because it's these kids are growing up seeing, especially these men, they're like, oh, I have to be strong. I have to be tough. Even, you know, women in certain in a lot of instances, the same in different ways. You have to be strong, have to be tough. Oh, don't talk about this. Just hold it in. Oh, just take it. Um, oh, you're supposed to feel that way. And all these different things where it's just teaching you more and more and more to bottle things up and hold it when just to have a conversation, just to express, just to admit our faults, just to admit that we may be wrong to things, just to admit that, okay, maybe the way that I've grown up and seen the world is different to this person and I need to be a little more aware to that. That just, all it does is give you growth. And that's where you kind of see where it's that, um, almost that character of like that old grumpy old man. I bet you for a long time, he never learned how to express his emotions and to just admit to things that it was just pure reaction. That's what I teach the kids down at the alternative learning program. These kids that are going through hell, I'm like, I know you've gone through a lot, but you still have to distinguish from being purely reactive off of emotions and being able to take a step back and evaluate. Because uh, that can just, again, bring so much growth to you. If I was more willing to admit, okay, I might be wrong in this. If I was more willing to admit yeah, maybe I am not acting right. Maybe I should change this or maybe I should try to better myself in these areas. If I wasn't just so gun ho on like, oh, I don't care. Oh, I don't care. Oh, no, I'm, I don't need to tell anybody. Oh, I don't, it's, it doesn't matter. I could have been such in a better position or more prepared for myself when I finally hit those places. But as we know, pain's one of the best, you know, <laughs> teachers. So I had to go through a lot of those things, but that's why I see them as blessings. If I didn't go through all these different aspects of pain and didn't go through the um, admitting myself into the hospital, I wouldn't have this larger view and this more of an empathetic, empathetic view of the world where knowing I can make a difference, but at the same time, not casting judgment. So if somebody comes out to me, they're like, oh, F you, 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 pizza, I don't care. Like whatever they say, my first thought isn't to just throw the fire back. It's like, okay, what happened to you? What is going on with you yeah like what that's what really drew me so um yeah i would just say just being vulnerable and willing to put yourself out there willing to experience pain to grow willing to put yourself in a position to be hurt to gain more because we know you know what's easily gained is easily lost so you really got to put your emotions and consciousness and thoughts into the things to be able to really reap what the world's got for us we're all gonna have pain Mm -hmm. we all do and, and it is the best learning lesson in life, yeah. unfortunately, but yeah. it, it is true. And, and if we can accept and know that there's going to be more pain in life, right? Knowing that, unfortunately, our parents and loved ones and people are, no one's guaranteed tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. And if we can have these, and, and I know this is almost hard, but these are some of the conversations I've had in my own mind over the yeah. last couple of years. And yeah. it's why I value the relationship so much more, knowing there's a day that my 64-year-old dad, who I have an awesome relationship with, isn't going to be there to talk on the phone, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's going to be sad. But defining that now and, and with my loved ones and that same pain you talk about that we should look at pain and go right after it, right? Mm-hmm. Adversity and, and we don't want to tiptoe. And unfortunately, yeah. that's what naturally us humans want to do. We want to tiptoe around problems instead of identifying the opportunity, right? Because that's mm-hmm. all adversity is. Yeah. And if we start to switch our language, we see it as the opportunity because that's what gets us from level 10, which we're at today, to level 11 tomorrow. And that's what's going to help me lead more effectively. Yeah. That's what's going to help our team grow faster and help you influence more people. So I love the same pain that 
we'll put ourselves in in the mornings when we go work out, right? The only way, like Arnold would say it, is it's the second you feel the pump is when you're growing. When you start to feel the pain is like when you're growing. It's like that in every other area of life, yeah. right? I love that you share that. You talk so much, uh, you, you have values, and I mentioned this earlier, and I mean this because you're a quality friend. You and Dalton Shaw both have them, and, and I love that we all got to work together, and, and it was such a fun environment. Now, you talk a lot about your why, and mm-hmm. I know your why you put a lot of thought into, and you've created a brand behind it. Could you talk a little bit about what your why is today and, and what the next five to ten years look like? Yeah. I would say um, my why has definitely developed and changed, um, but for now, I just feel it is to bring true impact. And whenever I think of true impact, I just think about how it's the difference between why I think high school coaching is a little more valuable than college. Some people don't because they see college as more of a stepping stone for a better career, better pay, all these things. But for me, when do you most remember things of that you'll go through with a coach? College, you're kind of grown. You might have some messages you remember, but high school, you're like, oh, I remember my high school coach this, I remember that. Those are those fundamental years that you can really help kids develop and prepare them. And so for me, I just know I want to cause true impact that wherever I can put my hand out, I can cause a ripple effect of positivity. And little examples of kind of how that started for me in where I kind of at least realized it for myself was my freshman year. I was luckily gifted with a mentor at Iowa. His name was Jason White. And he told me that he didn't want to play over me because he was uh, more educated or more knowledgeable and knew all the plays. And I didn't, he only wanted to play over me if he was actually gifted and more physically talented because he's like, it's for the team. So I'm going to teach you everything I know. I'm going to make sure you know the plays because it's next man up. So what happened? Now, when I was that older guy, my younger guys even called me the professor as a joke and stuff. Like I made sure every person who came in, I was there. I was picking up guys from the airports, teaching them everything I could because I, again, was like, I had that opportunity. So now when I'm doing the same thing, like when I went to the children's hospital, I realized, oh, even though I'm only taking 15 minutes out of my day to see these smiles on these kids' faces, what is that to me not to do that for them when they're going through all of this? And that led to the one family I became really close to, sad um, that uh, Jackson had to pass away, you know, 12 years old, battling leukemia, but you know, was there for that family. And now they're like my second family in Iowa to the point that the mother named her son uh, Augustus as the month that Jackson sadly passed and then Jordan um, Ert. So it was, that was a blessing. But again, it was that happened because I realized how something small I could do can make a huge difference. And that's why where I am now, just seeing these kids, the experiences, the things they have to go through at such a young age and grow up so fast, if I can just tell them one thing that changes everything, give one message that changes everything, that's the biggest thing. And the last thing I'll say, because I definitely have a lot of examples, but this was more recent, I went and spoke at a college uh, baseball team, and one of the last questions was what we're touching on is, uh, what would you teach yourself or tell yourself when you were younger, freshman coming in, and I said, to be more vulnerable. And I talked about mental health, talked about being, you know, strong with it and everything like that. And when everybody was shaking my hand at the end, one kid came up uncontrollable tears. Like I felt like that was meant for me. And again, for me to 
give a message and even if it only impacts that one that much, you don't know what he's going to now do. So it didn't matter about the awards, didn't matter about the records, because those things will be etched, but they'll be forgotten. But I've just always remember the saying, people don't remember what you say, they remember how you made them feel. That's just what I want to be able to do. So everything with my brand, where you're why, everything with the alternative learning program. And now what I'm getting into with starting up Underdog Edge is that's what I see and that's what I want to be able to accomplish. I love it, man. You have a why, you have values. Mm. You are so influential and you do it for good and you've always used it for good. And I know that your influence is only going to continue to grow. I see how hard you work and I see your transition. I feel so fortunate that we met when we did because it was right before you left to Japan mm. and this is before your, your injuries, you know, before Kansas City and, and LA. Yeah. And being able to, to have that baseline and go through it and still be on calls regularly with you or, you know, you'd come visit and to, to be open and talk about those is why I have no doubt that you're mm-hmm. going to have so much success in life and so much influence. And, and I'm excited that we're going to have you on the social that. side, brother, because this is just one more level. I want the world and Oscar and I want the world to see uh, the value that we have here and to learn how people communicate and how mm-hmm. people are creating influence because it goes way beyond football. It goes yeah. way beyond the gym. It goes way beyond the business. It's how are you involved in your community? How are you going to be remembered? How can people get in contact with you, Jordan? Uh, I would say the best way to get in contact with me is my Instagram. It's just at J Kanzeri, my last name, C-A-N-Z-E-R-I. And I'm always available. I make sure people message me, I answer, I reply, because again, you just really never know. And just love making new positive connections. So feel free to reach out. I'm definitely there for you. Hey, thank you again, brother. This is a good one. Thank you for tuning in. If this was a special episode, please leave a comment below on your favorite part that Jordan might have talked about in his story. We haven't had any story quite like this and someone that's willing to be vulnerable and just talk about what enabled you to get there and what costs it also took to get there, right? Whether you're an athlete or a business professional or you have dreams of creating a life that you deserve to live, we'd love to hear about it. And I'll put any of the, uh, your Instagram in the description mm-hmm. below. We'll see you on the inside. Good shit. Appreciate it, man. That's a good one, man. Thank you. Hell yeah.